from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This is a special Pesach podcast by Rabbi Rachel Berkowitz. Rabbi Rachel Berkowitz is a senior faculty member at Pardes. And now, Rabbi Rachel Berkowitz. Pesach is soon upon us. And for those of us in the modern day who are preparing for the holiday, That might mean that we're making our shopping lists for whatever food we're going to buy for the Seder and throughout the Chag, or we're organizing the cleaning schedule and worried about how much do we really have to clean to be ready for this holiday. But none of us are really thinking about where are we going to find a lamb so we can sacrifice it and offer it for the Paschal offering. Although, if we read the Psukim and even look at the original format of the Seder, obviously... The Korban Pesach was essential, was an essential aspect of the celebration of the Chag. And for us in the modern day, this can be difficult because we don't really feel, or at least maybe I'll speak for myself, I don't really feel a connection to Korbanot, to sacrifices. And it's very hard to relate to them and understand what the purpose was and imagine doing something like this in the modern day. However, I do believe that learning about some of the laws of the sacrifices can actually help us understand um, the experience of Pesach and redemption in a deeper way that could maybe bring meaning to us in the modern world. The fact that the rabbis of the Mishnah also spent time learning the laws of the Korban Pesach, even though they were not offering it at the time when they lived, since they are post the destruction, um, gives me hope that by studying their words, Maybe we can learn something for the modern day. So I want to look at two Midrashei Halakha. Midrashei Halakha from the same time period as the Mishnah. And it's the same rabbis, the Tanaim, who are speaking in them. The Mishnah is ordered topically, right? If we're thinking of the Seder, we know, who knows six? I know six. Six are the orders of the Mishnah. Um, And the Mishnah is done in a topical fashion, six orders by category. And so if you want to know the laws of Pesach, you go to Seder Mo'ed, the, the order of the holidays, you find tractate Pesachim, you go to the 10th chapter. But the rabbis, that was one educational method that the rabbis taught. But the rabbis also used the Chumash and went verse by verse and interpreted the verses. And the Midrash Halakha does not start in Sefer Breshit because there is no Midrash, um, there is no Halakha in Sefer Breshit in Genesis. It starts in the middle of Sefer Shmot, right here where we're going to start talking about Pesach, in the middle of Sefer Shmot, in chapter 12, Parakubet, with the first mitzvah that God gives to the Jewish people, HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem, Rosh Chodeshim, um, that I'm actually recording this on just on Motzei Shabbat after Rosh Chodesh Nisan, right? And this month is going to be to you the head of all months, the first month. And it's within that context that then God, that's the first mitzvah that God gives. And then God continues to tell Moshe Rabbeinu about that the Jewish people need to take this lamb and they're going to slaughter it and they're going to put the blood on the doorpost. And that's going to be a sign to the God to pass over and they're going to eat this lamb as a sacrifice. And so the Midrash Halakha on Sefer Shmot um, goes verse by verse and interprets the verses. What's interesting is it seems that many, many different Tanaim in their Bate Midrash, in their houses of study, they 
gave shirim on the verses. We don't have, um, in our day, not everything was preserved, but Dafka for Sefer Shmot, specifically for Sefer Shmot, we actually have two um, versions of the Midrash that were taught by different Tanaim. So the Mechelta is the name of the Midrash Halacha and Sefer Shmot, and we actually have the version of Rabbi Yishmael, and so the Mechelta de Rabbi Yishmael, and we have the version of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Mechelta de Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And so um, coming out of their houses of study, we have the way they learn the verses. And so I want to share these two midrashim with you and compare what they say and see if we can learn something that will bring meaning to us today, even though we don't sacrifice the Paschal offering anymore. So in the Mechilta Rabbi Ishmael, he looks at the verse in chapter 12, the verse that's um, verse number eight, and the Torah says, this is after Hashem explains, you're going to take this set tamim, zachar, this, uh, this young lamb, um, male lamb, and you're going to take it on the 10th, and you're going to do, keep it for four days in your home, and then you're going to slaughter it on the 14th, and you're going to place the blood on your, on your doorposts. And then it says, v'achlu et tabasar balayla hazeh, tzli eish umatzot amarim yachluhu. So you're going to eat this meat on this very night. You're going to eat it roasted on the fire and you're going to eat it with matzot and marim. You're going to eat it with some bread, not bread, right? Unleavened bread, but like your bun and with some condiments, some, some horseradish, and that's how you're going to eat it. And so on the phrase, balayla hazeh, the michilta says the following. It says, Shema'ani kol halayla? When, it, when the text says, you're going to eat it on this very night, it sounds like I hear from this that I could eat it all night long, right? It doesn't tell me when on the night I could eat it. And so um, then the Midrash says, Talmud Lamar, lo tatiru ad boker. The Midrash focuses on the next part of the Pasuk, Pasuk Yud, a little farther along, it first tells you a little bit more about how you should cook it, etc. And then it says you shouldn't leave anything over in the morning, and the leftover that happens in the morning, you should burn it. Um, And so it seems to be that I understand that really I can eat it all night long, just I have to stop eating it when it gets to be morning. And so then the text makes a jump. And it says, Mikan Amru, from here I learn, Achilap Sachim, the eating of the, the Korban Pesach, and then it lists a number of other types of halachot about Korbanot. Mitzvatam ad amud hashachar. The mitzvah really is until the sun, the, till the rise of dawn, right? I can really do it all night. And then it says something interesting. ma amru ad And so why did the rabbis say we only have till midnight? which we didn't even know, the text hadn't told us this yet, but it seems to be quoting, what it seems to be quoting is from a version of the first Mishnah and Masechet Brachot. So why did the, if the mitzvah is really until dawn, why did the rabbis limit it and say that you only have until chatzot, until you have only until midnight? So that you should distance a person from transgression. And also to put a protective fence around the Torah. 
And in that, in, in that sense, it says, And then it quotes a Mishnah from Masachet um, Avot, from Pirkei Avot, from the Ethics of the Fathers, and to establish the words of the men of the Great Assembly, that they said you should be moderate in your judgment, you should have many students, and one of the main things you're supposed to do is to put a fence around the Torah. So here the Mechelta seems to be telling us that, in theory, I could eat Korban Pesach all day long. Oh, sorry, Slicha, all night long, all night long. Um, uh, right, so I slaughter it on the 14th, and I eat it the whole night of the 15th. But the rabbis, as a preventative measure, because they're worried that maybe if I keep going and keep going in, in, the, in the time when the rabbis are talking, you can't really tell time at night. In the daytime, you tell time by the sun on a sundial. But at night, they didn't have a way to tell time. So dawn can suddenly happen to you when you don't realize it's about to be there because there's no way to know, right? They didn't have a watch that said sunrise is at 526 or something like that. And so to prevent you from transgressing, because if you eat it past the time that, that the God wants, then you're going to be um, in trouble and you'll have not succeeded in fulfilling the mitzvah properly. Um, so to protect you from this, they give you a big buffer zone and they say you better finish by midnight and that way you don't risk anything of going over the time. So that is the Mechilta of Rabbi Ishmael. Now the Mechilta of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai brings a different version. And the version that is brought here, also the Babylonian Talmud brings it in the in the in Masachet Brachot, Daf Tet Amad Aleph, and there, it reads the text slightly different. It focuses on the same verse that it says you should eat it on this night. And then it brings a dispute between Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah and Rabbi Akiva. Ama Rabbi Elazariah ben Azariah, namar kan belayla hazeh, benamar lamata, vavarti be'eretz mitzrayim belayla hazeh. Ma layla hazeh, namar lamata ad chatzot, af layla hazeh, namar kan ad chatzot. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says the following. In our verse, it said, you're going to eat this lamb on this night. And then further on, below, in the same chapter of, of, the, of the Torah, God says, I'm going to pass through the land of Mitzrayim on this night, and I'm going to kill the firstborn, right? And so, and then later on in the chapter, in verse Kafchet, in 28, it says, Vayibachatzi alayla, Hashem hikakol b'char b'aretz Mitzrayim, right? And, and at midnight, at the half of the night, God smote all the firstborns. So Rebel Zarban Azariah says, well, in our very same chapter, it says, eat it on this night. And then God says, God's going to pass through Mitzrayim and kill the firstborn on this night. So it must be that whatever God is going to pass through and do this, it's the same time. And since the verse explicitly says when Makat Bacharot, when the killing of the firstborn happens, and that was at midnight, so too... The eating should happen up until midnight and no longer. That's Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah's idea. Amar lo Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva disagrees. Ma'ani tzarich halo kvar ne'amar v'achaltem oto b'chipazon, b'sha'at chipazon. Rabbi Akiva says to him, what are you talking about? Why do you have to try to figure out to when you're going to eat it based on halayla azeh? The verse here too, right after it tells you that you should burn it if you left over in the morning, it, the verse Yud Aleph, 11 says, 
right? This is how you should eat it. The Torah tells us how we should eat it. With your belts tied up and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand ready to go. And you should eat it in haste, like ready when we're ready to leave Mitzrayim, right? That's when you should eat it. Um, and we all know, right, this Rabbi Akiva doesn't say explicitly, um, but we all know when we all know when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, right? They left during the day. They left during the day. And so this view seems to be that, like we saw in, in the Mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael, but for a slightly different reason, um, Rabbi Akiva seems to say you have to eat it when you're in haste leaving Mitzrayim. Um, and so really you can eat it all night long. So now in these two Midrashe Halacha of Chazal, we see three different views of when the ending time is that you could eat the Korban Pesach. View number one, let's say, is Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah. He thinks the Torah itself explicitly says, based on the link between the fact that I'm doing this whole eating and putting it on my doorpost because of God passing over to do makat b'charot, that the uh, ending time for eating should be at the time makat b'charot happens at chatzot. Rabbi Akiva says, what are you talking about? I've been told how to eat this. I'm supposed to eat it b'sha'at chipazon. That's the haste of leaving Mitzrayim. I know God takes us out b'yad ramah in the daytime. And so I'm going to eat it until dawn. The mechotet Rabbi Yishmael seems to be in some ways a compromise position between the two. It seems to agree with Rabbi Akiva that really you can eat it until dawn, according to Torah law, but the rabbis come along and make a fence, with, and that fence ends up agreeing with Rabbi Lazar ben that you can le- only eat it until chatzot. Okay, so let's, what, what was my point of telling you all this? All very interesting that we read some text, but we also want to get some meaning out of it. What does this mean? What are the differences besides the technicality of the verses themselves and, and using a drashan, different words, what conceptually is the difference between these different rabbinic opinions? What, is, what does it mean conceptually to eat the Koran Pesach only till chatzot, only till midnight, or to eat it to dawn, or to link it to makat b'charot, or to link it to going out of Mitzrayim? And so I would like to suggest the following idea. If we say that the eating of the Koran Pesach, you, ha- you have to time it, the ending of it, with makat um, b'charot, the killing of the firstborn, right? And, and, and when we recreate the experience of Mitzrayim and, and the Jewish people are commanded to eat the Korban Pesach in the years after, remembering the experience of redemption, right? The whole idea is to remember the experience of redemption. It seems to be saying that the moment of redemption really is makat b'charot. That is the moment when the redemptive act happened, when God did this miracle and, 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 and interrupted into human history to change the destiny of the Jewish people. And therefore, I'm timing my eating with that event. Right, That we eventually leave in the morning is just the repercussions of that event. That seems to be what Elazar ben Azariah is saying. That the redemption happens the moment God acts in history. Rabbi Akiva seems to be saying something slightly different. Rabbi Kiva obviously acknowledges that the going out later in the day was linked to Makat Bacharot happening in the night. However, for him, 
right? Redemption doesn't happen till human beings take action, right? God does this miraculous event, but if for whatever reason we hadn't left Egypt after there were, there were nine plagues before that that were miraculous and nothing happened and we didn't call them the redemptive action until we left Egypt, right? So for Rabbi Akiva, it seems to be redemption happens, right? Geula happens when God acts in history, but then human beings react to that experience. And when human beings put, right, what does it mean that I had my belt tightened and my, and my staff ready to go? That I myself are going to go out of Egypt, that I'm going to take action to create my redemption in reaction to what the, what the divine did. What's interesting um, is that, um, so that sounds like, a very clear machloket um, about things. What's interesting is the Babylonian Talmud brings this machloket and then doesn't really, as is the way of the Talmud, doesn't really like when Tanim, when we have machloket and wants to smooth it over. So, and is also a little bit disturbed. What does Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah do with the pasuk that said we're going to, we should leave, you know, we're going to eat this Korim Pesach b'chipazon? Right, the Pasuk clearly says it. It seems like that's a knockout punch for Rabbi Akiva. So the Bavli suggests what Rabbi Lazar ben Zarya thinks. And they say, well, Rabbi Lazar ben Zarya also thinks we should eat it b'chipazon. It's just that it wasn't chipazon Yisrael like Rabbi Akiva thinks. It's chipazon Mitzrayim. What's chipazon Mitzrayim? What is the haste of the Egyptians that he is timing this with. It's that once Makat Bacharot happened, the Egyptians were so distressed and wanted to save themselves and didn't want to suffer anymore uh, the wrath of this, Jewish, of this Jewish God that they ran to their Jewish neighbors and said, go, get out, get out, get out. So what's interesting, at least about how the Bavli reads it, is that in the end, the, the redemption happens in a similar manner, i.e. God does an, a, a miraculous act within history of human beings. And then redemption happens when human beings react to it. Here the reaction is not, Am Yisrael's reaction is not the Jewish people's reaction. It is the Mitzrim's reaction. It's the Egyptians' reaction. But it still is an experience of human beings reacting to the divine hand in history and creating a redemptive moment. And so it seems like, at least for the Babylonian perspective, from the Bavli's perspective, this value that redemption should be both something that comes on the one hand from the divine, and on the other hand has to be human beings reacting to that and doing some action to fulfill that expectation that the divine is creating or the potential that the divine is creating is important. What's interesting to me is that this um, go-between position that we read first in Mechelzad Rabbi Ishmael, that the rabbi said, really, the time is until dawn, which matches with Rabbi Akiva, but we're going to make a siagla Torah. We're going to make this fence around the Torah. This, to me, is an interesting idea. It's the first idea presented in the first Mishnah of the first tractate um, of all of the oral law. Right there, the context originally is Shema, that you could say it all night long, and the rabbis say, but better wait, you know, better have your cutoff point till Chatzot, lest you fall asleep, lest you don't know when dawn's coming. And then they link it to other, other mitzvot that have the same rule, right? In your printed edition of the Mishnah, if you go check the first Mishnah of Brachot, it's not going to say Achilat Psachim there as well, the eating of the Psachim there. But if you check the manuscripts, like, uh, like, uh, 
Kaufman manuscript, the best manuscript we have of the traditions from Israel. And if you look in the Yerushalmi Gemara, it's clear that they, like our Mechilta, have the word Achilat Psachim there. Why did I tell you that this is in the first Mishnah of all of the oral law? Because I think this is a, an essential trait about what the rabbis see the role as being, as working in partnership with the divine. They believe the tar- that they've received this Torah from the divine, but they don't just leave it at that. Their whole enterprise, I think it's the entire enterprise of the oral law and the entire enterprise of the Mishnah, is to find a way for people, human beings, to live out that Torah. And part of that's going to be by the rabbis tweaking it, by the rabbis explaining to us, by the rabbis setting limits to protect us from transgressing the Torah, like they do by moving the point from dawn till chatzot, right? I think Pesach is a great example of it. The whole Leil HaSeder, the whole Seder night, and us saying Magid over four cups of wine and us saying Hallel are all rabbinic innovations on how to really play out um, this mitzvah of experiencing Yitziat Mitzrayim ourselves, right? Um, And so post-temple destruction the rabbis still see the role of finding redemption as having to be a human partnership between human beings and the divine. And that's what they do in their enterprise called the Oral Torah. And it seems to be possibly, I'm suggesting, maybe this is a bit of a midrash, but a lesson they learned from the experience of Yitziat Mitzrayim, that it has to be a, a, a partnership between the divine doing a redemptive action, but human beings reacting to that. When we sit at the Seder, when we sit at the Seder, the halachot that we follow, based on the Mishnah in Masachet Psachim, right? if you have ever been to a Seder in which people are following the halacha, there's always a concern that they better eat the afikomen before midnight, before halachic midnight. And that stems from the Mishnah in Psachim, which tells us two halachot. It says, Ein mafterin achar afikomen. This is Psachim chapter 10, Mishnah Chet, that the la- you're not allowed to eat anything after the Korban Pesach. The last thing that should be in your mouth at this night is this taste of the, of the Korban, is this redemptive taste of Korban Pesach. And it says, In the next Mishnah, it says that, that if you eat the Pesach or even touch the Pesach after Chatzot, your hands become Tameh, your hands become impure, something that the rabbis think you don't want to happen. And so this is a preventative measure to make sure you don't eat the Pesach, the Koran Pesach after Chatzot. So you're not eating anything else after Chatzot, after after Koran Pesach, and you're not eating it after Chatzot. Nowadays, we don't have the Koran Pesach, but we think of the Afikomen as as the pieces of matzah that we eat, as a remembrance of this, that we don't, we want that to be our last taste, and we want to make sure the last taste lines up with the halachot of korban pesach, and we don't want it to happen after chatzot. So, it seems like either we are holding right Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, that, and we're actually um, modeling the fact that chatzot is the time that the divine acted in history and the Egyptians reacted and, and decided to save themselves from the Jewish people, right? And created, so it's redemption created by human beings um, and the divine. Or we're modeling and basing ourselves a- along the rabbis who, in a post-destruction stage, when they didn't have Korbanot anymore and they were could have been very lost, they were looking for 
a redemptive process that came through living life of Torah, and they were looking to fulfill their destiny as partners with the divine in the spreading of the oral law. So we are modeling either one of those, and I think the take-home message that we should have is that redemption happens through seeing the hand of God acting in history, but not just that, that human beings have to be an active participant in their own redemptive process. What's so interesting about the laws of Korban Pesach are that this is the cutoff point, right? Timing it with God through, going through Egypt and doing Makat Baharat at midnight is the ending point. Really, you're eating Korban Pesach beforehand, right? So you actually are eating Korban Pesach before the red, redemptive act happens. You have to have faith that the redemptive act is going to come, right? Even with Rabbi Akiva, who said, you're going to eat it till morning. For him, the redemptive act was the actual leaving. But you have to have your you know, suitcases packed and ready to go, believing that redemptive moment is going to come, um, which is also a second, a very interesting moment. So for us in the modern day, as we sit at our seders, I don't know what your redemptive moment is. If it's a personal redemptive moment you're hoping to come, or it's a redemptive moment for the whole moment for the whole Jewish people. But remember, they should have faith that it's always coming, and you should be looking for signs to see how the divine is going to act in human history. But that's not enough. You have to be the active one. You have to be the one doing something to help bring that redemption. May you have a chag kasher v'sameach. Thank you, Rabbi Berkowitz. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardis from Jerusalem.